0: you're a guest this morning, please stay because, hey, you're welcome. Um, We want to share what God has been doing and where we think God is taking us as a church. We are going to have a five-minute intermission at the end. So Fran's going to get up at the end, she's going to do her bit, and then we're going to go and grab a cup of coffee. And you'll notice that there are no chairs around the coffee table today because I know us. We're so good at talking, that once we get a cup of coffee in our hand, if there's a chair there, we're not moving for the next 27 minutes. So grab a cup of coffee, have a chat. To if, there's a few new people here, a few people that have only been a couple of weeks. Have a chat to them if you haven't. Uh, give each other a greeting, and then we'll, we'll make our way up to the front, and we've got some exciting stuff uh, to, to talk through today. But let's talk about Forgiveness. Just hands up. Who here doesn't need a sermon on forgiveness? Okay, who here can look around you and go, they need a sermon on forgiveness? Wow, the laughter says a lot, doesn't it? You know, some say that every single action that we take has eternal, unbreakable consequences. This is quite a popular idea in our world. We've We've got the idea of karma which I don't pretend to be an expert on karma, but the idea that if you do something bad, something bad will happen to you. Is that kind of, am am I putting it right? If you do good, good comes to you. If you do bad, bad comes to you. If you knock over the Bible stand, well, actually nothing happens, does it? The problem with karma is, well, it's a problem because I happen to know that I do a fair amount of bad things, and I can be pretty horrible. So if, if, if it's true that all of our actions have eternal, unbreakable consequences, I'm in deep trouble. And I suspect so are you. But the good news of, of the Bible, the good news of Jesus, is that God has compassion on us karma, uh, you know, unbreakable consequences for our actions is just not the way God is. God has pity on us. Mark's got words to say. Okay. Okay. No, no, just... way. We're just going to pray for her now. Father, we pray for Nadine and we pray for her mom and we pray for her dad. God, it's a messed up, broken world and it's so, it sucks. God, please give peace. Just wrap your arms around Nadine around her mother, around her family. Lord, show them your love. Lord, be God in this circumstance. And as Nadine's family, we, we want to hold her up to you. And we say, God, please, don't take away the pain, but be with her in it, I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, it's been a, quite a tough week this week for people in the church. For those of you that don't know, um, Peter, who, who is not here this morning, is not here because his mother passed away in Darwin. Um, and Nadine's father, is, if he hasn't passed away, he's very close to passing away right at the moment. So please keep them in your prayers this week. So, yeah. Right. Okay. Keep them in your prayers, please. You know, it's interesting because I'm talking about pity this morning. And quite often we don't like that word pity. Especially when we have a circumstance like that. People don't want to feel pitied. Do they? They don't want to feel like you're just, you know. Uh, pity's almost got that sense of looking down on someone. Almost of kind of like, you know, I feel sorry for you. Quite often, people will say to you, I don't need your pity. We, we assume that those who are pitied are helpless. but I want to suggest to you this morning that to pity someone is actually not to think of them as lesser than we are. And I want to suggest to you that pity is actually a godly thing when it's done in a godly way. We've read that really long Bible reading this morning. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive those who are indebted to us. And so often when we pray, Father, forgive us our sins, what we're really saying is, Father, give me a break. I'm not actually that bad. I just need to be let off the hook this one time again. But unfortunately, the Bible is pretty clear that, that actually in the very worst of ways, we are pitiful creatures. We are pitiable. We really are that bad. It's not just that we need to be given a chance. We, we just really are that bad. Yes, God is tender-hearted and God is compassionate towards us, towards those who fear him. Psalm 103 verse 13 and 14 has got this beautiful bit in there. It says that God knows how weak we are. He knows that we are only dust. We're we're here today. We're gone tomorrow. But listen to what God says in Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22. God's faithful love never ends, and his mercies never cease. Isn't that wonderful? See, the good news is that God looks at us as rebels against him, as people who constantly do the wrong thing, who constantly mess up, who are constantly broken and breaking others and breaking ourselves and God looks at us and God says I, I have pity on you I, I see how helpless you are I see that you cannot save yourself I see that you cannot survive by yourself I, I see that you don't have any power yourself I, I, I see that, that in the end you are just dust And that without me, all of us get eaten by death. And the good news is that then God acts because he pities us. God is moved with compassion for us. He he shows us mercy. Mercy is pity in motion. I mean, this is God's constant character towards us. So if, if you go right back into the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, you, you have the story of humanity and God creating them and saying, I want, you to, I want you to fill the earth and rule it under me. This is your kingdom under my great kingdom of all that I've created and all that is you rule under me. And humans said, fantastic, but why do we need you, God? And, and they rebelled against God. And all of a sudden they went, ooh, I've just realized I'm naked. And, and they, they were like bare and exposed before God. And do you know what? God comes to them and he knows what's happened. He says, where are you guys? And he has a conversation with them and there's consequences for their actions. And you know one of the interesting things is God sends them out into a world of death and darkness. There's a really interesting line there in Genesis chapters 3-4 where God says, where, where the, the Bible says that God made some clothes for them. And why did God do that? not because God was embarrassed that they were naked and that their, their skills in sowing fig leaves were really poor. It's that God looked at them and he had pity on them. You go forward a bit. You've got Israel in, uh, in Egypt. They've, they've become slaves. Have a read what God says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 9 to Moses. He says, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Why did God send Moses to Egypt? Because he heard the cries of his people. God had pity on them. You go a bit forward and they're, they're going across. They're entering the, the promised land under Joshua. And you find this woman at, uh, at Jericho, Rahab, and, 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 and she puts her trust in God. And God has pity on her and her and her family are spared. They become part of the people of God. Great story. Read it sometime. You move on. You've got... King David, just a brilliant king with a brilliant messed up life who who commits adultery and then to cover it up kills the husband of the woman that he's taken for his own. Uriah is dead on the battlefield by David's instruction. God has pity on King David. Despite what he has done, through David's line will come the rescuer of humanity. God could have said, I've had enough of you, David. I'm going I'm to choose someone else. You're just a pathetic, no good, and you mess up all the time. But David turned to God and threw himself on God's mercy, and God had mercy on him. He had pity on him. Mercy is pity in motion. Jump forward to David's great descendant, Jesus, who who walks on this earth. God himself made flesh and you get the untouchables, the lepers. And he touches them and he heals them. We have Jesus looking at those who are in desperate states and and bringing God's love and forgiveness and saying the kingdom of God is near. You guys, this is not how it's meant to be. There's a beautiful moment where Jesus comes to Jerusalem and he just cries out, Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, how long I've longed to gather you under my wings. For goodness sake, let's read the Bible properly. Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, how long have I longed to gather you, but you would not come. He has pity. The widow of Nain, as as she's bearing her son out, her only son, on a funeral buyer and Jesus has pity on her. Has compassion on her. Lazarus. Mary. Martha. Jesus stands up at one point and says, Anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink and, and you won't be thirsty again. I know how desperately thirsty you are and, and I'm here because... My father and I have have seen your desperate state. And he goes to the cross, not having to, but choosing to, to die for our sins, for our wrongdoings, for our rebellion against God, not because he has to, but because he has pity on us. Sometimes we like to think of God as this this unmovable person who doesn 't have emotions i, I don 't see that God in the Bible. God is moved by us he 's moved to pity us james jesus 's brother in in James chapter five verse eleven says The Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Forgiveness. Some of you are thinking, well, you're supposed to be preaching on forgiveness this morning, Nick. Forgiveness is pity enacted. It's God in love giving us what we don't deserve and not giving us what we do. God's pity sees you and me as people who can't pull ourselves out of a rut. God's pity knows that we deserve everything that's coming for us. But as James says in James chapter 2, verse 13, mercy triumphs over judgment. And triumph sounds nice, doesn't it? But it, the, the word actually uh, comes from the word for boasts or brag. Mercy brags that it beats judgment. And, and where does mercy come from? Mercy is pity in motion. To ask for forgiveness is to admit that I'm guilty. Now, some of you are sitting here going, oh, Nick, there's so much talk about pity and pitiful and all of this. Um, Dallas Willard is brilliant on this topic. He's got a line that says, if when I ask for forgiveness, my pride is untouched, I haven't really asked for forgiveness. If when we say, forgive me, there's not that little bit inside of me because we're broken that goes, but I shouldn't have to ask you. I'm not that bad. You should just do it because that's who you are. If, if our pride is not touched when we ask for forgiveness, we haven't asked for forgiveness. Because forgiveness involves us humbling ourselves. And this is true of God and this is true of each other. If you have offended your spouse or your friend... Quite often, it's not something you go, wow, I really want to go and ask for forgiveness now, because I did absolutely nothing wrong in that situation, and they were entirely right. Amen? No, we go, you know what, part of me thinks that they were a scumbag, and they should just have not taken offense. But if I ask for forgiveness, I actually have to stop and go, you know what, I was in the wrong I'm not lesser in terms of value to you, but, but I, I owe you a debt because I've, I'm in the wrong. I'm in the wrong. Without pity, life with God is impossible. And it's hopeless. Uh, our true position is like Isaiah the prophet experience. Have a, have a read this afternoon, if you can, of Isaiah chapter 6, if you don't know it. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah the prophet is taken up uh, to, to a, a vision where God is. And, and 6 verse 5, Isaiah says, Oh gosh, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. Like, we, I'm sinful. My people are sinful. My family is like, this is just not on. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen God. Isaiah looked at himself and he went, there is no way that I should be standing here right now. I'm expecting the smiting to happen any moment because quite frankly, it's, it's like a, I'm like a cockroach crawling across a dining room table. Who here likes cockroaches, by the way? Sometimes they, if we've got a grapevine, they love the grapes. And uh, you bring the grapes in and sometimes you bring some friends in with the grapes and our first reaction is not, oh. Our first reaction is, Well oh, maybe not because they're messy when you stamp on them. But I think that's what Isaiah is expecting is going, man, I, now that I'm seeing God, I, I realize I'm like a cockroach before him. By the way, God loves cockroaches. He made them. They're incredible creatures. And God loves us. Naziah, an angel, comes and takes a, a, a flaming coal and, and he touches Isaiah's lips with it and says, see, your, your guilt is taken away. Why? Because God had pity on him. Yes, he deserved to be stamped on, but God had pity on him. And, and God pities us in the same way. If we come before God thinking that we have a right to stand there in ourselves we've got another thought coming. The only right we have to stand there is that Jesus says I have acted out of my father's pity for you so that you can stand. See this cross it has touched your life and now you can stand. Jesus says We should ask God to forgive us our sins. But then he also says, as we forgive those who sin against us. See, those who have been shown pity can in turn show it to others. There's a story in Matthew chapter 18, a really well-known story of uh, Jesus tells of of a, a servant who owes billions of dollars to a king. And he goes to the king, and and the king says, Okay, let's call in the debt. You you owe it to me. And he says, Oh, king, give me a bit more time. I'm working out a plan. I'm going to pay you back. There's no way you can pay the king back. And the king looks at him, and he has compassion on him, he has pity on him. And he says, You know what? I'm going to forgive your debt. Billions of dollars. I I can cover that easily. It's it's no skin off my back. Off you go. That's fine. And the servant is very obsequious, and he walks out. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And he goes and finds someone who owes him ten dollars. Maybe he bought him lunch one day. A little bit more than ten dollars, a couple of grand maybe. And he says to his servant, "Um, "You owe me money." And his friend says you're right, uh, but you know, times have been tough. Uh, I, I haven't had a steady job for a while. Um, you know, the kids are growing up and they haven't been well. We've had the doctor's bills. We, we, we're really struggling. And yesterday, the car broke down and we need, we need new tires this week as well. And look, I'm, I'm good for the money. I'll get it to you. Would you just give me a bit of time? I, I'm, I'm going to get it. Thank you so much for lending it to me. I want to pay you back. This is with the Nicholas embellishments, by the way. And the first servant looks at him and says, You scumbag. I lend you good money, and this is how you repay me. You go to debtor's jail. Until you can pay me back every cent, I don't want to see your face. You're going to pay for what you've done to me. And some other people find out, and they go to the king, and they say, Do you realize what, what Joe's just done? And the king calls him in, and he, he says, Yeah, good job. Now you go to jail until you pay me back every cent of that money that you will never ever be able to repay as long as you live. Because obviously you don't know what it is to have been forgiven by me because you went out and you just, you just didn't treat your fellow man with mercy, with pity the way I treated you. You see, to forgive someone is to say, I won't make you pay, I won't make you suffer, for what you've done against me. And that's not easy, and it comes with a cost. Our pride gets in the way of us asking for forgiveness, but our pride gets in the way of us giving it as well. If my heart is closed against forgiving those who have hurt me, then my heart is also closed against God forgiving me. Because I don't see myself as pitiful, I see myself as valuable. I read a wonderful illustration that says you can't hold out your hand to receive God's mercy and pity and forgiveness while at the same time holding a fist against your brother. If your fist is like that, you're not going to be able to hold on to it. Imagine that you're in a war zone, you're stuck in a foxhole You're being bombarded by the enemy, pounded from every side. And you call for an evacuation and and it's dangerous, but the commander takes pity on you. He sends a helicopter in. they, They pull you out and you're safe. And you look back and you see your mates left behind there. And hopefully you feel sorry for them. You feel pity for them. But let me just make something clear. Jesus doesn't say, I want you guys to pray that you would pity each other. He says, I want you to forgive each other and to pray for forgiveness and to pray for help to forgive. I want you to pray for pity enacted. I want you to pray for God to enact his pity for you and you in turn to enact your concern for each other. Let's, let's not misunderstand Jesus. Um, if you forgive someone who has done something wrong against you, you don't automatically earn God forgiving you. It's not how it works. But if our pride holds sin against us so tightly, if, if we think that a sin against me is, is so high that it's higher than my sin against God, then we're really saying to God, I am better than you. You don't have the right to pity me. Don't give me your pity. If I am pitiful, if I realize that I, that I stand and breathe and, and exist only because God has mercy on me, God gives me undeserved kindness, how can I stand here and think myself superior to someone else? If I hold on to a grudge, if I pamper a grudge, if I cling to the hurts that have been done against me, what I'm really saying is, God, I don't want pity to be part of my life. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't say, give me pity from God, but refuse to give pity to others. Pity is a, it, it's a, it, it's a, it's a deal. It's a package deal. Forgiveness, which is pity put into practice, is a package deal. Mercy, which is pity in motion, is a package deal. We can't say, give it to me, God, but, but I won't give it to somebody else. How we forgive others is a, 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 a weather bell for our soul. But Nick, you don't understand what they've done to me. You don't, you don't know the hurt that they've caused me. Let's be honest, quite often the things that people offend against us are really minor and stupid things. My uncle and my grandmother for, I don't know if they're talking now, but for a long time they didn't talk over the Bibra Lake extension of Roe Highway. And you laugh, rightly so, because it's a stupid thing to, to fight over to break up a a good family relationship over. Sometimes we fight about stupid things, amen? But sometimes people really hurt us. Sometimes people really hurt us. And the church has its share of hurting people who do horrible things. And the idea of forgiving them, of showing pity to to people who have really hurt us. Maybe we can skip this bit in the Lord's Prayer. John Piper says, for those who have really hurt us, we think it would be foolish, unwise, and make us miserable if we forgave them. But, and this is a hard thing to say, but if that's what forgiveness is, then we have no right to ask God to forgive us. Because we would be saying, God, would you please be foolish? Would you please be unwise? And I'd love to make you miserable, God. Would you forgive me? Because the worst that people have done to us We have hurt God so much. And he still loves us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that good news? Forgiveness is not about making us miserable. Forgiveness is about the love of God. Yes, people do horrible things. Yes, people have hurt me. Yes, people have hurt you. Maybe the depth that you have been hurt is so large that, 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 that you struggle to forgive them. I'm, I'm not saying if you don't forgive them, you're in trouble. I'm saying if you say, I will not forgive them. You and God need to do some talking. And sometimes with our hurts, we need, to, we need help. We need to talk through things. We need to, we need to discuss it with, with uh, one of the elders, with myself, maybe even with a professional person to help you deal through some of these things. But, but if we refuse to forgive, What we're really saying is that we are better. Jesus hung on that cross for you and me. And one of the last things that he said as he hung there is an amazing line. He said, Father, would you forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. I I don't know how he said that. When I get the flu, I'm miserable. Jesus had nails in his hands and his feet. He was hanging there, gasping for breath. The sweat would have been pouring down his face. The blood from the... The, the jabbed on thorns on his head would have been dripping there. He would have been gasping out those words. And the words that he chose to gasp out was, Father, forgive them. If anyone was entitled to bear a grudge, it was Jesus. And he knew what he was going to go through when he taught us to say, Father, forgive us as we forgive those who do wrong against us. Sometimes we we struggle to forgive other people. Sometimes we struggle to forgive ourselves. The problem in both cases is our pride. We don't want to accept that we are pitiful. We don't want to accept that we can only live on the basis of pity enacted. We don't want to accept that any good that comes to us is very rarely deserved. Jesus says, swallow your pride. Say, Father, forgive me. I failed again. And say to each other, I forgive you. I'm actually no better than you. I can have pity on you because I am pitied. I don't think myself better than you. I don't think you any less than me. but, But I know that that I want to give you life because life has been given to me. I'm not going to hold your crime against you. I know what it's like for God to release me from my debt and it's good. It's good. I want to show that kind of love to you. It's going to cost me. It's going to hurt me. It's going to, going to eat at my pride. But Romans 4.7 Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. If this morning you haven't said to God, God, actually, I'm, I'm rubbish. That's all it takes. You just say, God, have, have mercy on me, a sinner. And God says, absolutely. I've been waiting for you to say that to me. And maybe this morning you're sitting here and there's somebody in the church or in your family or in your workplace that you haven't forgiven, that, that have hurt you so badly. If you can forgive them this morning, we're going to just take two seconds, I want you to just bring them to mind and I want you to say, God, help me to forgive them. I'm going to let go. I'm going I'm going to refuse to make them pay for what they've done to me. By the way, there are still consequences for our actions. If you jump off a cliff, God will forgive you, but you'll still hit the ground. But God's not going to be standing there pushing you to make you go faster. Maybe this morning, the people that have hurt you have hurt you so badly that the idea of forgiving them It sounds like I'm up here talking airy-fairy fairy tales. That's not how life works. I want to suggest to you this morning, if the best you can do is to say, God, I need you, would you add to that? And God, I don't want to forgive this person, but you say I should, so help me to want to do that. You might even, Adrian Plass has got a wonderful way of putting this, he says, you might even go to God and say, God, I wish they would die. I wish they would curl up in a little ball and collapse because they're horrible and they're pathetic. But you told me to pray for them and to forgive them. So would you help me to do that, God? Read the Psalms. The Psalms do that all the time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for forgiving us. We come to you not because we have any right to stand. We are unclean people. We come from a nation that has fallen away from you, that is falling away from you. Have mercy on us. Lord, look on us with compassion. We come because you have. We come because your son died on the cross so that we could come and stand before your throne. It is a throne of grace, God, of undeserved kindness. We come and we, we, we stand and we fall on our knees and we say, Jesus, have pity on us. And we thank you that you do. And God, right now, we just want to stop and, and think about those in our own lives who have hurt us. Big things, little things, Enormous things. Soften our hearts, God. We don't want to hold, we don't want to hold a sword against their neck when you have spared us that. Bring freedom. We want your kingdom to be in this place. We want your love for people to just resonate so much in our hearts that, that we could say, forgive them even as they are murdering us. Jesus, I struggle with that. And I'm sure we, we all do. Would you please do that in our lives? Amen. Now, just before I invite Fran up, this has been a really dark, heavy sermon, hasn't it?